begin to, to show you some things, and I just always try to pray, Lord, have your way in us. Um, I said earlier this week, and how uh, I many know we had a wonderful prayer meeting Tuesday? Who came out to that? It was a real uh, great time, and I had stated then that this is a season of, of a season of pressing and overcoming. And what that means is, how many know that when you entered into the Christian faith, that you entered into a war? And the devil is not going to allow us, or he's not going to sit by idly and watch us try to effect change in the world. He is not going to allow us to, to lead people to a saving knowledge of himself without a fight. How many know that? And so the only way to defeat that is that as believers, now how many know that we already have the victory in Christ? I mean, you know, we already have the victory. If you don't believe it, flip the book over to Revelation and you will see that we already have the victory. But now what's important is that we learn to walk in the victory that he already has for us. Can you say amen to that? And every ministry from time to time, any church and all of us as believers, we are always going to be experiencing times of, of trial and testing. We're always going to be experiencing times when we have to come together as one and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. How many of you believe that? And how many know that when the devil attacks in the area of unity, he is going for the juggler? Absolutely. I want you to get that. Whenever the enemy tries to attack in the area of unity, he is going for the juggler because he knows that if we're not a unified people in what we're doing, we can't move forward in God. And what I find is, and I've often said this before, and uh, Fred and I have often talked about this, that oftentimes that right before your biggest breakthrough or your biggest blessing, that is when Satan attacks. How many of you see that? How many of you have experienced that? I mean, right at the moment, right when you're at the threshold of your blessing, that's when the enemy comes and he starts acting up. Because he already see what is around the corner. So look at your neighbor and say, hold on. hold on. Because see, we're going through a tough time right now, but God is about to pour out his blessing. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Now, let's turn with me to Mark chapter number three. We're going to be in there for a while. Mark three. We're talking about unity and how important it is to flow together in unity. When you get there, you can say Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to wait for a couple of amens before I start reading. Hallelujah. Five, amen. four, <laughs> two, one. Glory to God. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And it reads, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub. Now the scribes are talking about Jesus. And he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking a parable to them. And he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? In other words, what they were trying to say is that Jesus, the very works that you're doing, you're doing it by the power of Satan. And Jesus was challenging how foolish that argument was because he says if Satan has an agenda, how can Satan cast out Satan? It won't work. But then he goes on to say in verse number 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Now, 
Verse 25, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Verse 26, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. The first thing that the Lord says there, and how many know that Jesus don't lie? <laughs> you know, he, he is the truth, the way, and the life. And Jesus said that a divided house will not stand. Now, he didn't say that it might not. He didn't say that it's a possibility that it might. But what he said is that a divided house will not stand. Now, he also talked about a kingdom. Now, whenever there is a kingdom, there is authority and rulership over a people. So wherever there's authority and rulership over a people, there is a kingdom. And so this can also account toward business, whether it's your business, whether it's your corporation, or whether it's your home or your organization, and obviously a church, whatever it is, if it is divided, Jesus made the proclamation. He said that it will not stand. So that's why unity is so important, and that's why the enemy attacks us so much in our marriages and so much in our relationships. Because if he feels that if he can get us divided, then he's already won half the battle. See, the devil knows that. And so what he does, he works overtime to try and divide us. Many of us, for an example, in in Foundation Christian Fellowship, we've been going now for about a year, if you count six months of uh, kind of hibernation. There was about 18 months there. And many of us have put in time of, of praying and sacrifice, and we've worked hard to see the vision that God has given us. And how many know the devil is a liar? We're not going to be a divided people. We're going to press on in God and stand firm to see the salvation of the Lord. See, Jesus said that a house divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Jesus said that, how many know it's a principle of Scripture? And so we ought to fear that. And unity is not an option for the believer. We can't decide. We can't say, well, you know, I'll decide whether or not, uh, you know, I want to be in unity. I'm not really sure. You know, I'll think this thing through. No, for the believer, and if we're going to change lives, if we're going to reach the next generation, if we're going to see people set free, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, if we're really going to make an impact for God, unity then is not an option. It's not something that we can decide to do. It is an absolute must in the kingdom of God, just like it is in your business, just like it is in your home, whatever your sphere of influence. If there is no unity, there can't be any forward progress. Are you with me? Now, turn with me to John chapter 17. I'm not going to keep you real long today. Do y'all believe that? Somebody said no. (laughs) John chapter 17. Now, this is referred to, this particular prayer in John chapter 17 is referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Right before Jesus is about to die and die a horrific death and bore and bear our sins on the cross, Jesus, he prays a prayer fervently to the Father. 
Now, as we read this in John chapter 17, the whole chapter is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And you will, you will discover that Jesus' central thought is that they would be one. Look at John chapter 17, verse 11. He says, I am no more in the world. This is Jesus. He's praying to the Father. And I want you to listen very carefully to how he puts this. And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may, so that, uh, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. How many know that when you walk with Jesus, the world hates you? The world is not your friend, hallelujah. Because they are not of this world, and even as I am not of this world, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Verse number 20. I do not ask on behalf of those alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And look at verse 21. That they may all be what? One. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And he's going to say it again. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected or matured in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. As I was pondering this passage of scripture, and I begin to think in my mind, because how many know when God says something more than once, he really means what he says. He's trying to get our attention. You can remember in Joshua chapter number one, when the Lord kept telling Joshua, be strong and very courageous. And then he kept saying, Joshua, I'm commanding you, be strong and very courageous. Joshua, whatever you do, be strong and very courageous because the Lord knew that what Joshua was going to have to be dealing with, that he needed to be strong in the power of the Lord. And so whenever the Lord says something to us more than once, he's saying, look, listen. And so as I was pondering this thought in my mind, why is, Lord, why is it so important that we be one? Why, God, is it so important? Why was Jesus making this such an important issue that he kept saying over and over again to the Father that they might might be perfected in unity, that they might won. Why is it, Lord? I asked the question. And here's what the Lord showed me. What is the importance of being one? The first thing is that God works where there is unity. How many of you want to experience the power of God in your life? All of us want to experience the power of God. 
And all of us, we get up on Sunday mornings and we come to church and or we get up during the course of a week and we go to work and all of us want to experience God's anointing and God's grace. And as we come together as a church, the thing that we must recognize, and this is where, what, what Jesus recognized, that if we're not unified, then God cannot work where there is disharmony and disorder. He, God cannot work in a situation like that. And Jesus understood because he said, Father, I pray that these disciples, that they be one. Because, see, if they were all divided and they all had different agendas, I probably, you and I probably wouldn't be here today. But because they walked together in unity and they were one and they proclaimed the boldness of the Lord, God gave them grace and they turned the world upside down by preaching this gospel because they were in unity. Now, one of the big enemies to unity is selfish ambition. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter number three. James Chapter number three. James chapter number three, verse 14. And keeping in mind that we're talking about unity and we're saying that God, we want you to use us, but how many know that God got to have, He only works in an atmosphere or in an area where people are unified as one. And look at verse number 14. But if you have bitter jealousy, it's one of the big ones in the body of Christ. We get upset because we feel like that we should have this or we should have that and somebody else have it. He says, if they're bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, a person that is selfishly ambitious is only looking out for one thing, him or herself. That's the only thing that they're looking out for. Their passion in life is what I want. And how many know that we need to be thinking about what is best for the kingdom of God? What is, God, what is it that you want? But listen, as he goes on, listen to this. He says, if you have selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. He says, in other words, if you're dealing with this thing, he said, don't lie, just be honest. Confess it to God. Don't lie against the truth. But look at verse number 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly. That is earthly and natural or sensual or demonic. That means it's demonically inspired. But look at verse number 16. For where there, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, Guess what he says is the fruit of that. There is disorder and every evil thing. In other words, disorder means there is disharmony. There is no unity where selfish ambition exists and jealousy. And these are some of the things that we must guard against as believers and as the church of the living God. The disciples one time in Luke chapter 9, you can study it on your, in your own free time. The disciples one time, they had this argument. You know, they were like, oftentimes they were like little kids. And they weren't just discussing this thing. But if you go back and read Luke chapter 9, they were having an, an argument about who is going to be the greatest. Oh, John, I'm going to be great, man. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be the greatest. You know, and Peter, and they're talking, oh, Pete, you know, I'm going to be the man. And, and finally, Jesus looks at all that. And he says, wait a minute, stop. Stop right there. He grabs a little child. And he said, whoever is the least in the kingdom of God 
is the greatest. In other words, the person that is probably serving and nobody ever goes and say, thank you. The person that is working behind the scenes, the person who is serving and, and giving and listen and giving their, their work unto God, the person that is serving the Lord from their heart, who don't care about anything but God's kingdom being uh, expanded across the earth. He says that person is the greatest in the kingdom of God. You see, the power and the anointing is only, only going to be dispensed as we commit ourselves to walking in unity. Number two, the reason Jesus prayed, I believe, that the disciples would be one and all those who would believe thereafter. Our message is more powerful when we are walking in unity. How is it that we can, we can proclaim to the world that we love one another? That we care about one another. But if we're backbiting and we're jealous and we're angry at one another, how many know the world sees that? And I'm always fascinated how the people in the world who don't go to church, but as soon as you disobey any, any fraction of the word of God, or if there's an appearance of disobedience, they said, oh, you're supposed to be a church person. You know, you, how, how, you know, you're supposed to be going to church. Why are you disobeying God like that? You see, the world take note of us. Our message is only as powerful as we live it out. You see, think about the testimony when, when, when the people in the world can see that God brings all these people from different nationalities and ethnic backgrounds and sociological uh, uh, situations and conditions and God brings us all together as one and then we walk together in love. See how powerful that testimony is to the world. It's an awesome testimony because people will take note and then our message will be much, much more powerful. See, if, you, if you're in your office place or wherever you are, and if you're preaching a gospel and you're not living it, how many know that there's no power in that? If we're not preaching what we're living, there is no power in what we say. And how many know that people will take note of that? So the disciples... So the disciples, they, listen, Jesus understood this, that when they are walking together in unity, the gospel has much, much more power. And how many of you desire to see the world change and come to Christ? I mean, after all, this is why we're doing this, aren't we? This is why we're together, right? We don't have any other agenda but what? His agenda. You know what his agenda is? He came to save the lost. He came to die. He, he, listen, he died for a dying world, and he came to redeem us. Look at your neighbor and say, I've been redeemed. And sometimes we get caught up, and we miss why we're doing what we're doing. We're doing what we're doing because we want to proclaim this gospel. Our heart and desire is to see a dying world come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want Jesus to be exalted above all. The Father has given him all things. And it is why we do what we do. Because we want our message to be in power. Jesus also understood, number three, that unity promotes a sense of family. Whenever we're unified, it is powerful because how many know that we pray together? When we pray together, when we struggle together, when we cry together, it encourages us all. And everybody wants to feel connected to, they want, to just, they want this feeling of connectedness. All of us, we long to be connected to somebody. And what unity does, it brings us together around a common goal. 
and that there's a support structure there, and we pray and we care for one another. The Bible says that we ought to bear each other's burdens. So unity, it promotes a sense of family. Unity also, number four, it aids us in pressing through the demonic attacks. How many know that the enemy, he is out there today, and he is trying to destroy everything that God did. The Bible says that the devil came to what? Kill. Here's what the devil wants to do in your life. Get it. He wants to kill. He's trying to steal. And he's trying to destroy. And I'm telling you, I just, and I want to say this emphatically, I hate the devil with all of my guts. And, he, and every time I see him rear his ugly head, it runs me on my knees and I run to God. Because how do we know the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I can't stand the devil. I hate him. That's one of the few times that you can actually hate. <laughs> I hate the devil because he's always trying to frustrate and harass God's people. And it shouldn't make us angry. It shouldn't make us come together and seek God's favor and his grace. Because he's trying to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God wants for us. But I say that devil is a liar. We are going to achieve our destiny. And everything that God has purposed for us, we are going to lay hold of it. All we need to do is press into him and believe his word. You see, the wonderful thing about walking this thing out and walking together in unity is that how many know that all of us have blind spots? And sometimes we can't see and we need other people to come alongside of us and say, look, brother, look, sister, you know, I'm discerning something here. You're under a spiritual attack. Because the Bible said that the devil goes to and fro looking for somebody to devour. The scripture says that we need to be vigilant and be alert because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion. He's always trying to intimidate. He's always trying to strike fear. And he's always trying to look where he can try and cause disunity among the body of Christ, among God's people. And the only way to defeat this people is to stand firm together. And that's what we did on Tuesday. We came together. As I was really praying and seeking the Lord, the Lord spoke to me. He says, gather the church together. We need to pray. This is an attack of the enemy. And so we came together. Why? Because, listen, we're saying that we are one and we're going to fight this thing together. We're not going to let the devil have his way. I say the devil is a liar. No, he's not. We're not going to let him have his way. How many know that if God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Look at Ephesians chapter number four. Are you still with me? Amen. 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 Ephesians chapter number four. And I got to hurry up and get there. Ephesians chapter number four. Now, this is Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church. And he's talking again here about unity. Ephesians chapter number four, verse one. Listen to this. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, because Paul was locked up, he was in jail, implore you to walk in a manner 
worthy of the calling which, with which you have been called. And here's how he say we ought, to, we ought to walk. We ought to walk in, number one, humility, gentleness, and with patience. Showing tolerance for one another in love. And look at verse number three. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, Paul says it to the Ephesians. He says, listen, that this is the way that we need to walk. If we're going to be a people that are going to walk in unity, he says, now, here's the attitude and here's how we need to walk. He said we need to walk in humility. That is, listen, when we recognize that we are nothing without Christ, it is the opposite of pride and arrogance. He says we're to be gentle with one another. That means free from harshness, sternness, or violence. He says we are to be kind to one another. And then number three, he says we are to bear. Some translations would say bear with one another. Or in the American, New American Standard Version, it says showing tolerance. That is that we make allowances for faults and failures. It means to love those who irritate us. Now the Apostle Paul makes it very, very clear that it is downright hard and difficult sometimes to keep the unity. How many of you believe that? Relationships, sometimes it is a challenge. And that's why Paul says that we, listen, he says that we got to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. And listen, and we got we to gotta tolerate one another because how many know it's easy to quit? Isn't it? The easiest thing in the world to do is to walk away and say, listen, I'm quitting. I'm done with this. It was Richard Nixon who made this statement, I believe. A man is not finished when he fails. He is finished when he quits. A man is not finished when he fails. Because how many know that all of us fall from time to time? Flat on our face. I'll be the first one to admit it. I fall all the time, flat on my face. But how many know the righteous fall seven times and they get right back up? Hallelujah. There's some bounce to our step. Hallelujah. But see, there's an unfaithfulness in the land today. And, and if people don't have things that, listen, if, if stuff is not convenient for me, if I don't really like this, then you know what? I am out of here. And this unfaithfulness have even crept into the life of the church. Listen, folks, we are the light of the world. The church. We are the hope of the world, the church. And if the church don't get it right, who's going to get it right? We're his body. He says that we are to endeavor, which means that, listen, it, sometimes we got, to, we got to work at this thing for hours. Sometimes we got to cry together. Sometimes we got to struggle together. Sometimes we got to go at it. But whatever we do, he says we got to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. We got to work hard at it. You got to work hard in your relationships with your spouse. You got to work hard in your relationships with your children. You got to work hard with relationships, even on your job. You got to endeavor to keep the unity. 
And when he says endeavor, what it said to us is, and what it clearly says, that there's going to be some work that's required. Just because we got saved, just because God has washed us in his blood, unity is not absolute. It's not one of those things that we automatically, we're just, wow, we're in unity. We got to work at it. That means that sometimes we got to deal with, with people that irritate us. We got to deal with some of their likes and their dislikes. But that's what Paul was saying. He was saying, look, you got to tolerate one another because it's going to be hard. And I love, and Paul's not making no bones about it. He says, listen, be diligent about this thing because it's going to take some work. And not only that, but the enemy is always trying to expose weaknesses, isn't he? And so we need to be sensitive to what he's trying to do in the body of Christ. But, you know, sometimes I think that we focus so much on our differences. Because how many know that we're all different? But the thing that I want to think about here for a moment, in Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 4 through 6, it talks about the things that unite us. How do you know when Jesus died on the cross and we all have been baptized into Christ that he made us one? He made us one. Now listen to this. These are the things that, that, that unites us. He says that we're one body. That means that in spite of our differences in race, color, nationalities, and language, there is only one body made up of all true believers. Then, look, look, at, look what else he did. Then we're one spirit. That means that we all have the same Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. All of us who have been born again, we have the same spirit of the living God living deep down on the inside of us. Then he says that there's one hope. What do we all hope for the most? We long to see Jesus' face. We long to bow down and worship him. Our greatest hope, our greatest desire is to see Jesus face to face, that we might worship him forever. We all have that same hope in God. We want to see his face. There's one Lord. We have one Lord, and his name is Jesus. He is our head, and he is our Savior One faith, that is our Christian faith, the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. There's one baptism. All of us have been baptized into Christ. Every single one of us. Look at your neighbor and say, I got more in common with you than I realize. (laughs) And then we have one God. We don't have many gods. We have one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. And so I believe that if we focus on the things that unites us instead of all of our differences, then we can really begin to coexist and have more harmony within the body of Christ. Finally, look at your neighbor and say, finally. For those of you who said that I will go extra long, hallelujah. Turn to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Oftentimes we hear people quote this scripture. And it's one of my most, my favorite passages of scripture, Psalms 133. It's a beautiful picture of what it's like to walk in unity one with another. In verse number one in Psalms, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's nothing more, it's nothing more sweeter than to see a body of believers. I mean, get the picture here. 
Nothing more sweeter than seeing a body of believers flowing together in unity, loving on each other, caring for one another. Everybody has the same goal, the same agenda, which is to worship Jesus and to know him. It is like, verse number two, the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing and life forevermore. You see, in the Old Testament, they would anoint the priest, and Aaron was the priest, and they would pour the anointing oil, which had a fragrance to it. They would pour it over, over the priest's head, and it would just flow all the way down to the edge of their garments. And what Jesus is saying, or what the psalmist is saying here, is that, listen, when, when we're walking together in unity, it flows down. And guess what? Everybody experiences the benefits of walking in unity. And then, when listen, when this thing flows down, when we're all walking in unity together, then what happens is that God looks at it, and he smells the aroma of our sacrifice of unity. He smells it. He says, I'm commanding my blessing. And how many know that you cannot curse what God blessed? If there's nothing else that want to make us, that should make us want to walk in unity, it is that one passage of scripture. He says, the Lord commands. Do you know what command is? That means commands. I don't know how else to say it. He said, I command the blessing when we walk together in unity. God is going to see our sacrifice and God is going to, he's going to bless us and he is going to empower us to do what he has purposed and called for us to do. And every single one of us have a responsibility to guard the unity. Not just Pastor Gary that's standing up here. All of us have the responsibility to walk in unity because, you know, you can look at the neighbor and say, well, look, you know, somebody want to be walking the flesh and walk in this unity, and you can look at them and say, look, I don't want you messing up my blessing, so you need to get it right. <laughs> I don't want you messing up my blessing because he said, I command the blessing where there's unity. Now, unity doesn't always mean that we see eye to eye on everything. How many know that we ain't ever going to see eye to eye on everything? You know, we don't have unity at any cost. How many know that there's some things that we got to be unified about? We got to be unified about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, salvation through grace and faith. We all have to be in unity about that. But some of these little petty things that, you know, that, you know, well, I don't like that kind of coffee, or I don't like the smell of coffee, as I was talking with one of my sisters today. Or I don't like the color of this banner. I don't like the way that this is and the way that that is. How many know that that is nothing to divide about? Nothing to divide about. You see how the enemy get us just focused on these little quirky things that in the grand scheme of things don't mean anything. What we need to be focused on is what is the big picture? What's the big, wh why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we here? Why do you come here every Sunday? And why do you read your Bible? Why do you give money? Why do you give your time? Why do you sweat pulling the stuff out of the trailer? The brothers were sweating this morning. You need to, we need to be praying about our trailer situation over here. I, we got to come up with a better solution. But why do we go through all that? 
Why do I spend hours laboring in the Word? Why do we do it? Because we want to glorify Jesus. We want to see his kingdom come right here on earth. And I have purpose in my heart, and I know that you have too, that we are going to achieve and we're going to walk in what God has destined for us. And that is to bring glory and honor to him. That is what this whole thing is all about. And I love him because he says that he didn't leave us as an orphan to say, okay, guys, I want you to go and figure this out all on your own. But he gave us of his Holy Spirit to give us the power to do what we can't do. Because how many know that it's going to take the Holy Spirit for us to be able to deal with each other sometimes? I'm just being, can I just be real? It takes the power of the Holy Spirit because the differences are going to come. There are going to be challenges. But all I say is, listen, keep your focus on the big picture. Some of you are experiencing attacks in your home because the enemy is looking at the big picture. He knows. Jesus is about to come back. The time is getting short. We need to be about the Father's business. There's too much work to do. And we need to be focused, and we need to pray for one another, and we need to lift each other up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I just thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that you command the blessing where there is unity. I pray with all of my heart, God, that you would unify us, that you would make us one in our spirits, Lord God. Father God, we say that in and of ourselves, we can't do it. And so we call for the power of the Holy Ghost to enable us to do what we know that we cannot do unless you empower us. So God, I pray that you would bring us into unity and that God, that you would rebuke the enemy, God, and that you would expose him, Lord God. And I pray, God, that we would walk together, that you would open our eyes, that we can see the beauty of walking in unity and with one another, Lord. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Father God, for what you've done in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mark.